you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. The Around the NFL Podcast. Wants to know what the soup of the day is. Welcome, always tomato basil, always, to the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I'm joined in a room filled with some heroes. Chris Wessling to my left and Greg Rosenthal to my right. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Always, I mean, tomato basil here at the huddle is what our commissary is called here on the NFL media campus. Tomato basil. Damashek, by the way, still Ooh, he's agree- smarts about that. aggrieved over them. Some some suit in New York taking his name off the soup station here in L.A. David somehow lobbied, this is years ago now, to have it renamed the Dave Damashek soup, soup station. station. And it had a, a picture of Dave's head, and he was quite proud of it. It was like, hey, fella, have I some know, soup. It, it yeah. actually, yeah, it had a little quote in <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, a little <laughs> bubble. Hey, I mean, it was right up Damashek Alley. And then one day it was mysteriously gone, and, you know, Sheck goes knocking on doors. Sheck will go up to the third floor, too. He's a big time, like, I'm knocking on doors. I'm talking to people. I want to find out what's going on. And he found out that one of the uh, third floor Shadow League figures found, deemed it inappropriate and removed it. Mm. I uh, had a brief conversation with him. And he still holds it like five years ago. I later. wish he was still here. He was just behind the glass a few minutes ago. We could have brought him in, and he, and he could have he given, given us 10 minutes during a slow time of the year just <laughs> ranting about the end of the Dave Damashek soup kitchen. I got some good rants the other day from him after the Talent Summit, and I told him he should, when he writes his book, it should be called My List of Grievances is Long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a great run with Sheck, and hopefully many years longer. Uh, welcome to the Monday edition of the Around the NFL podcast. It is our uh, last week uh, before we go semi-dark. So we've in the past, we've done for the July 4th week, we've done a best of show, uh, which never really sat very well with us. We tried it, 
it turned out not to be really something we wanted to keep doing. Well, it's it's a voluminous history by now, so it's hard to get like 2013, 2014 mm, right. into the mix. It's just a lot of work too, and Erica was not interested in that either. <laughs> so we just we stayed away from that. It's uh, just like the it's like a sign of a podcast phoning in a little, a looking little for a little extra downloads. Although ultimately, people don't want to listen to old podcasts like the best of. Yeah. So what we did this year, uh, we, we will have a new show that will go up uh, 4th of July week. So we won't be dark next week. Uh, so it, and it'll be one of our um, uh, recurring uh, once a year type shows. It'll be fun. We'll leave it at that uh, with Colleen Wolf, the great Connie Fox joining us. That's not the only special guest, although Connie is more family than a guest on the show at this point. But a true special guest uh, on, coming up on Wednesday's show, our next show of the week, MJ Acosta. A fast riser here at NFL Network. Uh, she's going to be sitting in for the whole show with the three of us. That's pretty exciting. Absolutely. MJ does a lot of uh, Bay Area Raiders, Niners stuff. Relatively new to the network, but uh, we all got to talk to her a little bit at the media uh, talent summit, and uh, you know we liked her. And we said, let's let's get her in the mix, please. That's what we do, especially this time of year, Wes. Oh, she's she's a natural, and like you said, fast riser. You better you better interview her now while you have a chance. Right, exactly. Um, coming up on today's show. Speaking of the talent summit, uh, we teased this on Friday's show, which we got a lot of good feedback. By the way, thank you to everybody that got back to us. They liked the um, poolside chats. Yeah, uh, uh, in Santa Monica with Jane Slater, of course, and Peter Schrager. Check that out on the Friday show. Schrag bomb. Schrag bomb. Thursday show. I think it was actually. Uh, a lot of people uh, took they took like some type of um, inner peace or some type of what Jane Slater was trying to get across about how oh. she lives her life. People really connected with that. I Yolo. Think, I think Jane could be could have a side business as like a motivational social media sort of speaker personality type of thing. How about Erica, the girls' night out that happened, I believe, that evening, that included uh, Lakeisha Wessling. Uh, and uh, Colleen Wolf, Colleen Wolf, Kay Adams, Kay Adams, Tiffany Jane Blackman, Slater, Tiffany Blackman, Erica Tamposi, nowhere to be found in any of the photos on social media. And then uh, I saw, spe- speaking of, of grieved, a <laughs> uh, comment by you wondering where your invitation got lost in that girls' night out. Right. Yeah, that was a joke. Where are you at on that? Where- I had to go to a um, an improv show that I had tickets to. And then oh, I was leaving. Yeah, then I was I leaving care. for San Francisco because you know I was performing in a festival. Oh they yeah, let's talk dinner. about that. How was that, by the way? It was awesome, right, Greg? We had so much fun. Yeah, uh, the other podcast that we do, the uh, the Jessel, Nick, and Rosenthal Vanity Project, was part of Cluster Fest, which was this comedy festival, and we did we did it in a pretty small room, similar to the the live shows uh, that we have. And uh, as you guys know, those are. A- blast uh it was so much fun but the the entire idea of the festival itself that it's like a a music festival around comedy was really interesting and cool and a lot of it was outside uh in san francisco which was great i saw courtney barnett like the whole Mm. thing behind it i just thought was delightful although you had to you know the tickets were a little pricey it's gonna be like the west by west west (laughs) i mean it can't be south by southwest it's in san francisco did Erica get to be on the stage, or did you put her off? On oh, the- yeah. No, she played, I would say, a bigger role as Anthony's punching bag in this episode than maybe any other. Maybe yeah, because we were we were on the stage. Um, but, yeah, she she was uh, 
Are you okay? Rick? I was going to say large and in charge on this, yeah. but I know she would take oh, offense to that. Okay. And, and no, no, we no. are going to air that one uh, Tuesday. So oh, good. Nice. It in. Check that out. Um, all right. Let's get to it. So, as I said, Talent Summit, we teased it on the Thursday show that we're going to talk about Al Riveron, uh, the head of officiating for the NFL, did his um, annual what, – what, how would you call it? The – where we stand. Where we stand on the rules we're about to implement. Right. And he and he goes through the process of explaining all the new rules. And he has his whole a whole laptop filled with uh, examples and, and trying to make it clear. And a lot of the uh, former players and current analysts go crazy. It's always a fun scene. Uh, we saved it uh, for this show because we wanted to dig into it. So that's coming up. Also, Greg wrote a banger. I mean, just because it's June 17th. Uh, when this piece went up. Doesn't mean Greg's not going to put the effort in. I'll put some effort in. Uh, yeah, I would not call this a banger. This, and, um, this you know. doesn't have the hallmarks of a true Rosenthal banger. <laughs> no. I have to be honest, just no, looking I, at it on paper. I like went out of my way to try to avoid <laughs> doing this topic a week ago because it's like division power rankings. What are we really talking about here? But Kind of fun, though. You wanted to put – yeah, people like it. People yeah. like talking about it. So. It's fun talking about the divisions. You can hit all the teams. So we'll hit that at the end of the show. You know it's a dry time of year when this, uh, this thing went up a week ago, and it really is meaningless when the first day it came up. And I noticed yesterday it was still in the stack. There you go. There just hasn't been anything to replace it. Um, Before that, though, let's do some news. What was she wearing today? Today, I mean, when I left, she was in the bed. She was in the bed not wearing clothes when she left. So I didn't see her. You know what I'm saying? Okay, and the other one, what was she seen seen wearing today? The same way. She was in the bed, too. They didn't have clothes on. Oh, okay. Of course, Jets running back, Le'Veon Bell, the drama connected to the um, jewelry heist in his home. The 911 call drops, and it's picked up everywhere where it's confirmed that both of his girlfriends, girlfriends, plural, were nude in his bed when he left for a, a workout. So there's no way to give any type of description to the coppers to, to go find the women because – Assumedly, you assume they put on clothes before they left with Greg. And I know it's personal to you, the Diamond Black Panther pendant as someone that has also um, had one stolen. Is that true? We talked about it on the show. <laughs> I think that was a joke. Oh. Someone someone made about me. Um, but I, I'm intrigued by this story. Well, for for many reasons. But there was some proof that this was a long-term polyamorous relationship that the two of them were on social media going out with him as long as like nine, 10 months ago. And that those were his girlfriends and like in, and he was kind of advert, you know, like, so this wasn't it, which just adds another wrinkle to the story. I don't know what it means, but that's... Wow. Well, before the polyamorous part, I was going to say I'm reading a book about the 1883 baseball season. So like 140 (laughs) years ago. Yeah. And there are multiple players dealing with the same situation. Not the polyamorous part, but, you know, all kinds of... Side pieces. All kinds of side pieces. Yeah. And the drama involved with that. And then you realize, if not for wealthy traveling men, <laughs> like, red light districts wouldn't even exist. They're the entire reason that red light districts exist. Mm. Um, I wonder, It's that's really eye-opening. And frankly, it would be alarming to any athlete that's living a, a rich, fun-filled lifestyle right now, which you don't you can't hate on these guys. They're rich and young and... And they have appetites in a, a number of fields, including love. Ah! Um, what is happening? But the idea of uh, the idea that 
a, a nine-month con potentially was in place. Yeah, it's a long one. Well, who knows when the idea came up here either way, but no one's really it, <laughs> it makes you feel like like was his heart broken here? Because this was not a like this was not just Oof. an overnight sensation. This it's a was, betrayal. He had a whole setup. Total. Wes, you got out at the right time. It's hot out there in the streets. <laughs> Can't trust nobody. I don't think that's the circle I was running in. <laughs> All right, let's uh get to it. Um let's start in Green Bay. Uh, something interesting, uh, Mike Silver, our own Mike Silver of NFL.com wrote a piece. Uh, Matt LaFleur, the new coach of the Packers, implied that Aaron Rodgers, who had complete control of the Packers offense under Mike McCarthy, especially in later years, you could certainly argue too much control as uh, Green Bay went south the last couple of seasons. Anyway, the the implication that Rodgers will not have complete control at the line of scrimmage uh, like he did in the past. Here's uh, a quote uh, from... LaFleur to Silver. We're running a system I first picked up while working with Kyle Shanahan in Houston a decade ago, and we've never really had a quarterback who's had complete freedom to change plays at the line because that's not really the way the offense is set up. And by the way, Aaron Rodgers asked about this. Uh, Rodgers uh, deemed it a conversation in progress and added, there aren't many people that can do at the line of scrimmage what I've done over the years. Wes, you're shaking your head. How do you see this all playing out? Well, I think by now, we're reacting to the reaction. This story is about a week old. And what I think has been lost because of the disconnect between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy is that Aaron Rodgers, to paraphrase Bill Polian, there are four stages of NFL quarterbacking. Stage one, you learn how to call a play. Stage two, you learn what the defense is doing to you. Stage three, you learn how to use your personnel to counteract what the defense is doing. Stage four, which only a few people get to, you learn all of the above and use that to manipulate defenses. Aaron Rodgers was doing this seven or eight years ago. Sure. He was already at that level. The game, remember the Matt Flynn game where he threw for 460, 480 yards and six TDs? Yes. Seneca Wallace told Mike Silver years ago, Aaron Rodgers called all the plays in that game. He called the plays for Matt Flynn's best game ever. Week 17 of the 2011s. Five seasons ago, Mark, Mike McCarthy said Aaron Rodgers is doing more at the line of scrimmage than any quarterback in the NFL. Right. I mean, he, he called him coach-like in his ability to see what the defense is doing. So to me, for Aaron Rodgers to say, do you really want to take away this one special thing I can do? It makes a lot of sense. Counterproductive to take that out of you his hands. You can't take yeah. it away. On the other hand, this could be just a healthy tension between him and LaFleur. If you read part of this article from Mike Silver, in addition to everything that's going on with this sort of slight struggle about who's going to have control at the line of scrimmage, Aaron Rodgers is very excited about this offense. Yep. And and that was the takeaway for me is he's excited. And he did note note that there's a number of kind of line of scrimmage stuff still in the offense. It's not like he's taking that away. It's figuring out the bounds. But it is extremely similar to the articles that were going on in Atlanta before – Kyle Shanahan started uh, talking with Matt Ryan that like they were kind of taking away a little bit of Matt Ryan's freedom and what was that going to work? And it had mixed results initially, and then it turned into MVP Matt Ryan. And I I think that Rodgers is so smart that 
there he's gonna have a lot of response i kind of can't buy he's just gonna have less and i think that was part of you know that was the problem from mike mccarthy's view is that he lost total control that like right. you know three out of four plays that were happening were were being caught changed and maybe that was the right way to do it maybe it wasn't in mccarthy's but it's it's almost certainly not the right way to do it in shanahan's system. the bigger conversation i think uh is aaron Rodgers, who we know a absolutely brilliant quarterback, but a prickly guy behind the scenes, doesn't always see eye to eye with people and will let you know. Will he and, and Matt LaFleur, who's only four years older, 35, there's 39. Are they, is he going to respect LaFleur the way you need to respect a head coach and, and have that type of relationship? Doesn't mean you have to bow down to the head coach, but it has, there has to be structure in place. And will it, will that be in place it's a fair question you have to allow yourself to be coached hard and and I think that is one thing that has separated Tom Brady from a lot of quarterbacks you've heard the stories Bill Belichick is just as ruthless with Tom Brady and Tom Brady allows him to be that way look at the the Packers have been Super Bowl contenders for almost 30 years now and they have two Super Bowl titles with Brett Mm -hmm. Favre and Aaron Rodgers who are two stallions under center they're not they're they're mustangs they have to be broken in a little bit and corralled a little bit i think he'll he'll have as much faith in lafleur as possible uh for a good chunk of the season and then results will matter like this is one where you would if you're a packers fan of course you want to see a fast start but they would be especially great if you have a fast start and then he gets a little more confidence in what they're doing in other kind of head scratching off the field news so we're you know trying to piece together the lev bell girlfriend situation maybe a long con <laughs> who knows what was going on a lot of nudity involved well let's spin now to the skies where cam newton was hopping on a plane um a 10-hour flight to Paris where he w- eventually would meet up with Russell Westbrook uh, at various cafes and clubs and have a great time in France. So it all worked out. He got where he needed to be. But it was in the air, Greg, where he hit a speed bump. So he – first of all, Cam Newton, I don't know how much he's worth. Maybe we could check spot rack. But it's it's hundreds of million, a hundred million bucks or something. He's a filthy rich man. He's had a, a tremendously uh, successful career. Nice endorsements. Got to endorsement be the top, top endorsement guys in the NFL. I mean, he's got to, you know, you, you could see him potentially being in the top 20 money makers in the NFL if you made a list. Uh, maybe 10. Anyway, he's sitting coach on a 10-hour flight to Paris. There's, there's the first thing I'm trying to figure out about this story. Uh, part two of the story, he approaches a man who's in the front seat of coach. So, you know, the front the, where coach and first class separates that front row has the extra leg room because there's no seat in front of you. Right. And they put the TV screen on the wall, and it's about maybe, let's say, two feet of extra space there. And on balance, it's a good spot to be. Uh, you don't have the TV the way you want it to be right in front of you, but you got the leg space, and that's good, especially mm-hmm. 10 hours. Well, Cam said, well, I'm, I'm Cam Newton. I, he approaches the guy sitting in that spot with the extra leg room and offers the man $1,500 to move back about three rows and sit in an aisle seat. And um, much to Camp's surprise, and this is all captured on video uh, because, you know, it's 2019 and, and it was posted on Twitter and right now has over 4 million views. Uh, the man, politely it seems, we don't see the man in the photo. He's seated and Cam is standing over him. Uh, the man just declines. And Cam offers him $1,500 uh, cash uh, to move back. Uh, and the man declines. Cam kind of shakes his head. Incredulous, he's he, he's surprised, and he goes back to his seat, and that's how the story ends. 
Hmm. So some uh, not bad PR for Cam, but a little bit of you know. <laughs> I don't think it's bad. Yeah, PR, it's kind of just it's a tough spot for him that it was on video the the interaction, but he, he handled himself well. He kind of shook his head like surprised, but didn't give the guy attitude or anything. Um, what do you guys think about this? I would have guessed there is not one occasion that Cam Newton gets on a plane without being in first class. Well, here's why. He missed his flight. He had oh. business class. He missed the is flight. Is this true? You, you yeah. have this? Yeah, they had that. Uh, oh, good. Um, Do they say how tall the gentleman is who rebuffed the offer? You don't see that. But he missed his original flight where he had a business class seat. So he, had to, he had to get there. He was clearly taking the next flight out. Uh, there's no sp- – no spaces in first class. And so he's just looking for the he's gotta get out of town. economy extra legroom. Now, the, Russell Westbrook's waiting for him. I think what, when if Cam Newton's shaking his head and walking back to his seat, he's cursing himself because there was strategy in the number. You're in coach. Mm. You're in coach, and you're thinking, all right, this guy's taking coach to Paris. He's not a huge high roller, but he's a, you know, at least he paid for the extra legroom. Like, what's a lot of money, but not – you know, a, a crazy amount because that would be nothing to move up to first class. That's way too low. You would right. you would have had to offer fifteen thousand or ten thousand, something like that. But for the extra legroom, I wonder if he's thinking, "Oh, I should have offered four, or I should have offered three. I guess he could have raised it at that moment, but felt like you just you're going to come in with one number, uh, and he he went too low. This guy this guy wanted that legroom, or he wanted the the power play. <laughs> of saying no to the rich athlete. It's like, I know you want this. I know you get everything you want in your life, but you're not getting my seat. And it's a weird hill. Or it happens so quickly. And I don't think it would happen with me necessarily, but I could see it where you're so like confused and stunned in the moment. Your initial reaction is just to say (laughs) like, no, because like what's happening? No, I don't know. Like you feel like some sort of con is happening. Has, Has it been confirmed that this man knew that it was Cam Newton? He's wearing, we sun, don't know that. he's wearing sunglasses and a hat. We would know it's Cam Newton, but I don't know. Yes, it's cer- certainly not it's everyone. It it's, a, it's a standard black fedora. He's dressed, you know, he's got a bandana tied around his neck like uh, Bruce Springsteen on the Born in the USA tour. He's dressed in a, an extravagant Cam Newton way, like but not ascot? overly. No, he's almost like an old school Chris Wessling flannel shirt. Oh, nice. But they, probably one that costs like $400. I would have taken I would have taken the 50 Oh, I'm taking the But money. the smart move would have been a – he could have countered too. He could have countered with like five. Mm, let me go the other way. <laughs> I mean, Cam would have done yeah, it, right? No, he let me go the other way though because now this is going to cut to our pride a little bit, but we're all just trying to make our way through this world. Money is a thing. Um, what is the lowest amount that a Cam <laughs> Newton would have offered you that you would have moved the seat? Would you have moved for $100? Well, I – No. You know, I – I 100? No. 200? You wouldn't move for oh yeah no because because I know it's Cam Newton oh well let's say <laughs> okay. you don't okay no take him out of it just a regular guy comes up to you yeah it's no. a ten hour flight it's gonna need to be way more than a hundred five hundred no it's gonna need to be more than five I'm moving for five because it's an aisle seat right not, I'm you're not into you're not moving into a middle seat I don't know if you guys have noticed but my legs not like super long. <laughs> You know, barely above, you know, like a, like where I, there's Every seat's I have a comfortable metal cooking. You, Every seat's fine. Yeah. It's like the one place on earth uh, where it's an advantage to be small. So, yeah, 500 sounds about right. But I'd the, do it for free if it was a nice guy. Mm. To a middle seat? Maybe not to a middle seat. As a man who cuts a husky figure, <laughs> I have, middle seat is not great. Right. I have changed seats, but not to a, you know, not to a middle. Some, you know, some guy wants an aisle really bad and he's huge. Right. Um. Let's close out the news with a double little double shot of drama, starting with 
Carrie Underwood. We all know Carrie Underwood, the country superstar who uh, took over for Faith Hill a few years back as the voice of Sunday Night Football. A lot of anger around uh, Sunday Night Football theme in this studio with this show, particularly with Mark. But in general, it's not a, a very popular song. Well, what if I told you that in addition to uh, the Sunday Night Football song Game On that's been used the last couple of years, it might not be an original composition, Wes. What if I told you that? I would believe that. Well, there's a lawsuit. (laughs) There's a lawsuit that Carrie Underwood's been hit with, a woman named Heidi Merrill, um, who's had some success in her own right. Uh, She had a sports theme song called Cornhusker Strong back in 2015. Uh, But she had a song called Game On, same title in 2016, posted it to YouTube in March of 2017, and uh, three months later, four months later, the Carrie version, uh, which Carrie presented as an original version, debuted on NBC. Let's hear these two songs now, and I want you to tell me if uh, Heidi Merrill has a case against Carrie Underwood and Associates for stealing her original composition uh who do you want to hear first carrie let's hear carrie first all right let's hear the game on by carrie underwood all right now let's hear heidi merrill's version Based on those two clips, I don't. I don't think it's that strong a case, personally. What open think, and Chris? shut. Also, <laughs> open and shut case. They definitely <laughs> the same thing. Also, Heidi Merrill. Yeah. You left this really key point out. Yeah. Submitted this song to Carrie Underwood's agent, mm. and then a few months later, Carrie Underwood had the new song game on. Well, that yeah, that's mm. that is mm. that's huge, Carrie. Because it sometimes gets a little, con, you know, a little confusing. You know, there's different tracks going around that different boy. people will be on. Like you'll hit, you'll you'll hear like it's like a country rock with the words "game on," like, like a Cardi B song thing. that was like originally like or a, like an Migo song that was an originally like a Jay Z song, but then they decided not to use it. So things get like passed around sometimes, but that's not the case here. Mm. I think she's got a good case. Mm. What happens? Does that mean that this carry version is done? Are they going to put it six feet under during litigation? Maybe we'll have a chance at a much, much better song for Sunday Night Football. Well, I wouldn't hold your breath. Whatever. Even if this was replaced, the chances that like a banger drops. I thought people kind of liked this song. Really? I thought it was fine. I mean, uh, it's a it's kind of like a tough. It's a losing proposition. Here, write a song. Oh, that's like about Sunday Night Football working in all these angles uh, like. It's, that's it, what the money's it's a, for. It's a losing game before you start. Do well, it well, well, that's you what the money's are, for. You guys are forgetting about uh, the Jonas Brother wife. Uh, I hope you love it in my Priyanka. city. Priyanka. But, that, but that was her original song. See, I, I know that was her original song before they used it. So maybe that's, that's what, the way to go. Maybe that's the way to go. Find something that's a little bit. That sort of works. Yeah, it works. But it's not so on the nose. Well, either way, we'll find out. We'll be tracking this case very closely. Uh, finally in the news, uh, Erica, let's bring you back in. Got some gossip. I, I got a scoop here. Um, not my original reporting, so I don't want to pass it off as such. It's uh, it's aggregate reporting. But someone in the newsroom connected to the um, Charlotte uh, gossip scene let me know uh, that Olivia Culpa, do you know that name? Of course I do. Who is that? 
Miss Universe, um, and also Danny Amendola's ex-girlfriend. And Danny Amendola, playoff Amendola, and Olivia Culpa, their relationship ended on under less than ideal terms, correct? Correct. What happened? Um, well, there was some, you know, scuttles and cheating scuttles. involved. And, and Danny, Danny, and the, the worst part of it was Danny wrote an incredibly embarrassing Instagram yeah, uh, post about it. Mm. Not where a good he, where, look. He, where he owned, self-owned himself about right. that as a He cheated on his girlfriend and then in a panic move <laughs> wrote a horrific social media post. Um, that's a good when taste When she was men, caught Erica. with like Zed, um from Coachella photos were surfacing. Who's, so, who's that? He is a Swedish DJ. That's that, that baby. That's that baby. All right, so New York Post <laughs> runs an item uh, in early May headline, uh, Christian McCaffrey sets sights on Olivia Culpo after her messy NFL breakup. Uh, and then uh, just, uh, I think in the past week, someone snapped a photo at the Charlotte airport of McCaffrey and Culpo together. No. Checking no. in. So guess what? It's game on <laughs> for Christian McCaffrey and Copa and Amendola is sucking wind. Yeah, wow. I did not hear this. That hurts, doesn't it? I didn't know she was like it's like an like an executive going from one, you know, organization to another that she suddenly she was available and different NFL players could just like apply by letting the New York Post know or I think just that's let, how it works. letting the public know and then it works. I think that's how it works. Yeah, they were spotted together at the TSA checkpoint line at Charlotte Airport. Uh, the Morning Toasters, which apparently is some type of podcast, one of the uh, people from that show saw it and took the picture. So deal with that, Ricky. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. I mean, McCaffrey seems he's, he's much younger. Maybe it's more age appropriate. You know, Amendola's kind of, yeah, he's at the end of his career. McCaffrey's. Just a, a star in the rise. I'd be more not a, sm- not a bad move by Culpa. Yeah, I mean that's that's great. It's I don't I'm just waiting for his next Instagram post to flip out. That'll be great. <laughs> uh, that's what's happening in the news. All right, so as we promised, let's get into it. Al Riveron speaks at the NFL um, Media Talent Summit. Uh, fireworks ensue. I I'm gonna start right here, guys, just to get it going. Wes, I I don't think I owe you an apology because that's strong, but I will say that I am. After it wasn't just this, but this meeting kind of put me over the edge where it's now very clear to me that instant replay, even if the intentions are good, this is not heading toward a good place. And um, you you thought this you had this opinion from the beginning after the, of course, blown call in the NFC title game that which has led to this new rule of instant replay uh, on pass interference. what I got out of this, and let's, and that's how we'll dig into this, is that there is going to be a lot of gray area when it comes to officiating replay on instant on uh, pass interference. And I'm on Team Wes on this now. I don't know where you are, Greg, at this point, uh, but I'll, I'll let you get it going, Wes, because I'm curious what your thoughts were. Because it's not the only thing Al Riveron talked about, but it was the main course all building up to uh, where Riveron – Gave examples, various plays. Tons of examples. Tons of examples. What, how it would have been handled. And it, he picked the hardest plays possible to his credit because, like, what? It, right. that's the point, you know? And it was murky. And it, he would say, what would you do here? And half the crowd would say one thing, half the crowd would say the other. And it was all felt like a terrifying look ahead to what's going to be an interesting season in the NFL. I like that you approached this the same way Reveron did. He went through a lot of stuff, and then he said, okay, showtime. 
<laughs> OPI and DPI. And that way he knew that he was playing to the crowd at this point. This is what everybody came for. So it starts out, he says, it has to be clear and obvious visual evidence. You start with the premise that the ruling on the field is correct. And the key phrase is significantly hinders. Does the defensive player significantly hinder the receiver? And like you said, when we saw all these examples on several of them, half the crowd was like, yeah, that's pass interference. That's not half the crowd was, you know, it was all over the map. One thing I saw was that it's almost impossible to overturn an OPI call on the field. If it's offensive pass interference and a defensive player touches him, it's going to stay offensive. Or if the offensive player touches him, it's going to stay OPI after they review it. The difficult part is going to be DPI, as we all knew. And as Riveron said at the end, this is one of the reasons why we like him, because he is a direct guy. There is no convolution when he speaks. And he usually comes around at the end and tells you how he really feels about it. And he said, we could be diving into things that maybe we shouldn't be diving into here. Hmm. That's what That was his last takeaway for the defense. You know, it's only going to be a year, is what he said. It's well, that, a trial system, so we'll see. Well, I think that's uh... – you know, he's speaking for a lot of officials. This this rule isn't popular with officials, and ultimately he's an official because they think it, it's going to create um, some issues and, you know, it puts them a little more in the spotlight where they matter less. You know, my takeaways from it, yes, there, he picked some hard ones and the room was split. There was only one call the whole time because I was keeping track that I was surprised by that where they, they said they wouldn't change it or that they would change the it. Slight and, push and, off and, the re- and the rest, I was like, I get it. That, those, that, was, that was what I thought was going to happen. That is what happened, and I get it. He, he tried to emphasize, and this is what I hope they actually do, and I'm worried because in the past at this meeting, he's emphasized a similar point and maybe not followed through. He tried to emphasize how often the call is going to stand, that the call on the field is going to stand most of the time that it's going to be really hard to overturn it is it clear and obvious that it needs to be overturned I think the one play that confused um, the most people in the crowd was the second to last play I believe of the Chargers Chiefs game Uh, Week 15 yeah great touchdown catch by Mike Williams that that would have been called uh, pass interference for the offense and the defense at different points in the play. And he and Riveron stressed that once the play is reviewed, then everything that's reviewable can be reviewed, which is something I think we haven't thought a lot about. So not only can pass interference be reviewed, but, but anything else that's possibly reviewable from that play could be reviewed. And in that play, there was an offensive pass interference, uh, which, which apparently occurred well, before even the defensive one. And there's just... It's a lot that any aspect of the play can be reviewable, but I am hopeful that they're not going to overturn much, that that mostly it's going to be calls that standing, even a couple times where he kind of made it clear that that most likely that was pass interference, but since it wasn't called, then he'd stick with the call on the field, or the reverse, that most likely, even though that's probably not PI, but it, you can't really tell from the angles, that it's 100% dependent on the TV angles. That, that was a key point. There's no extra, they're not seeing anything extra that the viewers at home aren't seen, period. So if they don't have the right camera on it because it's a 10 a.m. game between the Panthers and Dolphins and they only have so many cameras there, like you're not getting it overturned. Sorry. That play that you just talked about. So, yeah, Chiefs Chargers, week 15, Chiefs ahead by seven, Chargers marching. Uh, th- this would blow people's minds. And Rich Eisen wrote about it. He filled in for Peter King 
uh, on his football morning in America. Happy birthday to Rich Eisen, 50 years old. How about happy that? Birthday, um, happy birthday, Rich. Happy birthday to uh, Emika Rosenthal, too. How about nice. that? My wife. I'm not going to mention her age, but, you know, what yes. a day. Shares it with Rich. Ageless. That's how I would describe your wife, um, if I'm allowed. Is it Please. appropriate? I, no, I love it. It's too late now. <laughs> um, anyway, so it was uh, it was um, third and ten, right? Um, and Mike Williams, the uh, offensive player, Kendall Fuller on defense. Like you said, I don't think the ball was actually caught. It was a DPI call that put the ball down at the one. My bad, yeah. He, now, ca- yeah, he caught it, but he was out of bounds. Because it's inside two minutes, this would be a play that Riveron said – would get buzzed down to take a look at it because it's such a big play. And like Greg said, what Riveron said was that uh, there was there was not enough evidence to overturn the DPI, so that call would stand. But there was enough evidence to call OPI. So it would be called – all the, the stadium would be going nuts, and he'd announce this is two penalties offsetting, and instead of it being first and goal from the one with eight seconds to play, it's third and goal from the ten. And that to me just – it's convoluted. It just seems – messy to me and that's what gets me nervous about how this is going to impact the league in 2019 I I found it interesting that Greg chose that example because that was the one replay where I said this makes perfect sense there was obvious offensive and defensive pass I, experience I agree play. I think it would have been the right call but it, it was the okay. one I think that the room was sort of like Dan well, let's is talk saying about the real little, confusing ones yeah there is a defender wearing Kyle Rudolph is wearing a defender on his back the defender's Slaps down on his wrist before the ball gets there. Rudolph catches it. But if he drops it, Riveron said that will not be pass interference, even though the defender got there first, because it obviously did not inhibit his ability to catch the ball. You're not allowed to slap the guy's wrist before the ball comes. Well, that was that was one where I think the angle was the key, where it seemed like that, but you never really saw it. Oh, no, it, it was obvious that he, the defender hit his wrist before the ball got there. And then there's another one where I believe it's Evan Ingram downfield, and there's a slight push-off from a linebacker, like 30 yards yes. downfield. Mm. And they, he said the coaches want this to be called pass interference, and everybody in the audience, see, that was audience the one, said ticky-tack. Me, yeah, see, that was the one me and Mike Giardi were in the corner and we were talking about that one, and we both said immediately, that is clearly pass interference. And and I know the audience, everyone was saying, like, it's 30 yards down the field, but if if you see someone, you know, making contact that far down the field, then and it clearly moved the guy a little bit. Well, and when you're me, moving that fast, it seemed like about as obvious as, as it got to the me. The defensive but guy see. lost his balance more than more <laughs> than the, I think a, we're already having I this. I think we should all be in agreement, though, the biggest takeaway from that play was what a beautiful ball by Eli. What a throw. Why, he could have thrown it out a, a little nicer. Ingram dropped it right to, in the bucket. Had to slow down. Between the numbers. So that's I, so we're, 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 in the, we're in the weeds here. Uh, <laughs> Wes and Greg just mouths agape watching Eli's throw on that. Um, yeah, and then Hail Mary. Uh, Riveron hit Hail Mary. So that was the are, one thing I really didn't like. All right, so the, and maybe you'll have a different thing. But I was just – it made sense to me logically. But there's no – since there's no official rule like what constitutes a Hail Mary uh, – it's hard to say how the rules will be. At what point do the rules get relaxed and you let the let them play, let the boys play, uh, and, and even if it's a little more pushing and shoving, it's because it's not like anything outside the 45-yard line is a Hail Mary. So it's all a judgment by the officials and the people upstairs, and that leads to more, uh, you know, it's just indecisive. You don't know what the call is because you don't know what official is going to decide what a Hail Mary is. Riveron said it will not be defined, and in very Judge Potter Stewart style on obscenity, says we all know what it is when we see it. Well, he that was one of the things that I thought will be changed with this rule. 
So it's a one-year rule. And I think something unforeseen is going to happen with Hail Marys in general, that they will have to define it, that it will change in future years. Because River, the most interesting thing I think he said was about the Hail Marys. And he sort of said it without saying it, which is essentially they're not calling PIs on that's what it seemed like. Period. So let's. They're not. He didn't. Say, he didn't say that to be clear. But he said it's going to be officiated the same way that it's been officiated the last twenty years. And I think there's been like one pass interference called on a PI. So he was essentially saying there's going to be pushing and shoving and jumping, and they're just not going to call it. And they're not going to really review it either, unless it's like crazy where someone you know where you're just jacking a guy. But it, it's it's like it has an unofficial. A uh, separate set of rules, and that just made me think. Well, they're going to have to actually make a separate set of rules if for that play. Eventually, if you're a smart play caller or a smart quarterback, and you're, let's say, at the 35-yard line with 11 seconds left in the half, aren't you throwing it twice for the end zone now? Or I'm taking. I always like, thought they should do that more, anyways. But yes, <laughs> but it's like from the 35. Is that a hail mary? Should you take back-to-back delay of game penalties to make sure you're in the hail mary zone? That's why I chose the 35. Because yeah, it's in that gray area. Um. Uh, one rule that is not connected uh, to this. Did anybody else have anything else on the one? Because he did go through the other rule changes. There is one rule change that's way on my radar, radar because I have talked about this time and time again. It's why I didn't like the extra point getting moved back because there's enough pressure and kickers decide enough in the NFL uh, that you don't need to add more. But this rule, now say you score a touchdown, okay? And your wide receiver, your running back, or whomever uh, gets a little crazy. Maybe he uses the ball and pretends it's toilet paper and wipes his butt and throws it into the crowd. He gets called for unsportsmanlike conduct. It happens a lot after touchdowns. Uh, now, the new rule, it used to be that 15-yard penalty gets enforced uh, on the ensuing kickoff. Now the opposing coach will have the option to take that 15-yard penalty and tack it onto the PAT, which will lead to a 48-yard PAT attempt on any penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct or a personal foul of all any kind. Guess what? I'm calling it right here. Mark it down. That will decide a game this year. Oh, I hope so. Somebody yanking a 48-yarder on what should be a, a, an 18-yard kick. Well, I'm torn here because on one hand, uh, I'm usually you don't really like these unsportsmanlike. A lot of them are ticky-tack and in, but they had no consequence, just like an extra point, which is what you want. You want the extra point to not actually happen, to not be a play. I don't like that. No, it's a I play. like the 48-yard extra point. There's mechanics to even the – we're not going to go down this road, but, I, you know, it's just like why we keep on making it harder and putting more heat on the kicker? I think live the kicker out of this. Because, yeah, the, the old penalty didn't matter because you got a touchback like you would have gotten anyways. And uh, anything that – adds a little spice to to the extra at the point. kicker's expense I'm, always I'm totally I want to get rid of the extra point I think it will happen eventually let's just kill it two final thoughts on Riveron one when he's dealing with the players he's the master of the chide mm. he will gently chide the player before he makes a point like even he, Steve Smith which is really playing with danger Steve Smith he would say something like we're off topic here but I'll, I'll address your point he's yeah. got to make sure he tells him he's off yeah. topic D'Angelo Hall nee, 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 running your mouth just like he did on the field <laughs> he did. Michael Irvin, he's like, uh, Irv, we thought you were sleeping over there. You know, he's got that chime. Irv, by the way, wearing a bedazzled Dallas Cowboys hat in public 20 years after he retired. Good uh, job. The other thing, we, you know, we're, I don't think we're exactly houseboys or shills for the NFL. People can accuse us of that because we work for the Shield, and, I mean, that goes along with it. But Wes is wearing a pullover right now with am, an NFL yeah. Shield over his heart. But, you know, go on, Wes. But these meetings are helpful to see how passionate – 
a person like Jeff Miller, whose health Ooh. and safety is about reducing concussions and how passionate Reveron is about setting example for high school kids and lower kids when it comes to safety. And some of the points that he emphasized, Reveron, we can no longer ignore the stats and the data. We're better for it now, some of the safety rules that we had in the past. We've got to stay ahead of the times. This must be coached differently. We have to coach this behavior out of the players. It's our responsibility to ensure this trickles down to high school. That's our job. We've got to change the culture. And I think, you know, a lot of people see the NFL as this giant monolith printing money and really not caring about the players. But the people inside there, a lot of them do care, and they're very passionate about it. So I just wanted to say that. Well put. And I think Riveron, who, you know, we, we've come out of these and been singing his praises and maybe the shine is – you know, wore off for some of us during last season when people were upset with Riveron for how he was handling uh, his job. It, to me, on some level, it's almost like it's almost like the presidency. I mean, you can have you know, I don't want to get too political here, but it's like you can have a, a president. No, no one's going to be happy with him no matter what. Like there couldn't be a president at this point that is going to have like Obama had also, so many people that, that you're going to be upset with the head of officiating no matter what he does also on some level. What? I mean, it's like commissioner. I have People it, aren't going to be satisfied with him either. I have it in my notes from that week. Al Riveron has an impossible job. He, he, because not only is it always going to be – it's bipartisan. Uh, it's always going to be fighting on both sides of the aisles. So it's not – yeah, it's not – it's never going to be a situation. Except like everyone agrees that they don't like the officials. I know. Maybe, yeah. Maybe <laughs> in that sense you're right. But like the idea of – He's just here to enforce the rules that the league's putting into uh, place. He's not the one that pushed this through legislation. Like, he, he's trying his best, and he's – it looked like he was going to be the fall guy mm. after the NFC title game. He survived that. Um, you wonder if if this goes sideways, the OPI, DPI replay stuff, if he becomes a sacrificial lamb because mm. of it. He's just kind of in a tough spot, and I came out of it – yeah, I'm not as – giddy about uh, him now three years in uh, you know watching these presentations but I also respect the guy and I understand what what he's up against which is it's a reason why Dino Blandino took the paycheck and, and went to Fox to be on TV because this is kind of you know it's like a job that will age you uh, like it does age right that was that was why I wrote down he was kind of like Obama was he was a couple years into the presidency right now Riveron very charismatic, can handle the room. Maybe not, you know, as effective, you know, pushing that legislation through. But we can't do better than Al. Be careful what you wish for. I think where you and I, Greg, differ on replay is Riveron says the OPI or the DPI role. This is meant to pick up on the big miss, and you sort of believe that that's all it's going to be. It's going to it's going to correct the big. It'll miss. have some problems. And I have no, I have no um, belief whatsoever that the officials will be disciplined enough and the coaches will be disciplined enough to leave this to the big miss. It's going to be minor, picky plays. All right. Good talk, guys. Can't wait till next year. Hopefully Al's there. Finally, Greg wrote a banger. Here's the, here's the headline. Uh, Greg wrote a banger, Ricky. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? NFL Division Power Rankings. Colin, NFC North stands above the rest. He ranks them. Greg, every division. You got it. One through eight. Game over. Not a banger. NFC North, I think, has the best division because it has the most teams that I could see in the Super Bowl. 
with a good last place team too. So there's like kind of two different categories here. But I could see the Lions, the Bears, or the Vikings. I mean, the Lions, uh, the Packers, the Bears, or the Vikings. I could see any one of those in Miami, us covering them in the Super Bowl. I think it's possible. The Packers, the Vikings, or the Bears. That those are those caliber of teams. It wouldn't shock me. Number and, one with a bullet. And then you look at the the Lions as the fourth team. That's a nice little last place team that you got put, you know, in terms of talent. Now, who knows if that's, they'll actually come in last. But I think compared to some other fourth place teams, they've got Stafford. They've got some players. You put that all in, in one mix, I feel safe that that's the best one. That's one way of looking at it. I look at it like the Lions are going to be a better team this year. They have done a good job of kind of filling some holes that they needed to fill. And it won't make any difference. What a tough job Matt Patricia has turning this team around in this division. You have the AFC North at number two. Was it close, Greg, or is it pretty clear cut to you? I I don't think it was close enough because I don't think much separates any of these divisions. Like, it's the NFL. Like, there's just not that big of a difference. But they're similar to the NFC North in that the Ravens, Steelers, and Browns uh, I, I consider them contenders. It'd be a little more surprising to see the Ravens or Browns in a Super Bowl, but like uh, the NFC North, there's just no easy games. I kind of favored them that way. Instead of having like one or two super teams, I like the divisions where I don't see any easy games. I think the Bengals are going to be pretty tough, and I definitely think the Browns, Steelers, and Ravens are going to be tough. I would, I would probably put the AFC North number one because I think that's fine. I, I, it's hard for me to make a case for the Lions as a playoff team, but with AFC North. Would any of those four teams surprise you if they were playing? The di- the difference oh, for January. me is the I think the Steelers are, you know, who knows at this point. But I would be surprised to see the Ravens or Browns in the Super Bowl. And so the Steelers really? to me are more they're a championship contender, but those others are a little more underdogs. Where I, th- I thought the NFC North had a, had more powerhouses, but who the heck knows? Why? Because you think the Browns are going to be in the Super I Bowl? Think the Browns are clearly a better roster than the Steelers. <laughs> Maybe, but I guess Super Bowl though that would be. Surprising. I guess so. Maybe I, there's something about it that I just got to see it. Maybe that's my lack of vision. I got to see it from the Steelers. <laughs> All right, at number three you have the NFC South: the Saints, Falcons, Panthers, and Bucks. Uh, similar setup here. I would think that you have three playoff contenders, including a true powerhouse in the Saints, and then the Bucks. You, know, you could, if you squint hard enough, yeah, you can see the Bucks as a frisky team. I think so. I think it's still the best division of quarterbacks. Uh, although, you know, maybe the AFC North could challenge them or the, uh, the NFC North could challenge them. It's the best division of quarterbacks. you got two MVPs and Drew Brees. Uh, and just looking at the division, though, it made me realize Dan Quinn and Rivera might be having uh, kind of a face-off where only one survives. Because I think if mm. either one of those teams misses the playoffs, maybe all three, maybe the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers make it like they did two years ago. Uh, but if only one of those teams makes the playoffs, I think they could, it could be a coaching change. If Bruce Arians unlocks Jameis Winston, which is, you know, a big if, this uh, this division is going to be wild. I love those I love uh those games as you know year after year. Also a good food division. Oh, Atlanta, we... New Orleans. Remember our Bruce Arians conversation <laughs> about how how plugged in he is on this go round? He's not even coaching Winston. It's all left which. I don't oh, I don't I, buy this. He's not even in the room. I love this. It is very funny to see Wes's heel turn on Arians. Now that he's <laughs> I'm just he's being been, realistic. I don't know if Dan I think Dan might have missed this episode, but that yeah. is is now that Arians is with Winston, suddenly oh. he's out to lunch. He doesn't care about it. <laughs> he doesn't care about his he job anymore. He's already out to lunch. He's, he's retired. For saying he's just If you can't do it in 11 hours, you got no business doing it. He's Phil Jackson in with the New York Knicks yeah. right now. Absolutely. Just because he's with Winston. 
Justin, please. If, if he was, he was a, a Mariota, not because of that, right, you would uh, love him. Uh, that's a that's a great way to put that, Greg. Except for the very obvious point that the man retired because he had enough of football. <laughs> well, he had some health issues though. It's kind of like Parcells said, retired too. I'm checking out. I'm done. But you have and to be I'm only coming back for the Browns. <laughs> Wes, be honest. I'm if, only coming back for the Browns. If Arians goes That's to funny, Tennessee, you're singing praises. No. And you're, you're saying this is the year Marcus Mariota. This is Mariotto not built on Jameis Winston. This is built on this guy retiring because he had enough of football. Now he comes back, and it's all on Byron Leftwich, not Bruce Arians. Uh, take us, Greg, take us through the Tampa cuisine. Like the top. <laughs> well, that's where I realized Tampa. that I said it was the best food. Uh, <laughs> broke down a little because what do I really know about uh, Tampa strip <laughs> strip club cuisine or Charlotte for that matter? Although you hear pretty good things. Great food courts. In Charlotte. Said, good barbecue. Uh, they got a great uh, TGI Fridays at the airport in Charlotte. Uh, NFC West at number four. Wow, you know, right to the middle of pack, Greg Rams, Seahawks. Uh, but I guess it's a front-loaded division. Uh, well, I think oh. the 49ers have a good a good roster, so that could be a team with that could be a division with three pretty interesting teams. You have like one of the safest teams, I think, in the Rams. This was the only pick that I totally disagreed with. I thought the NFC West was way too high on this list. Hmm. Well, the Rams have won 24 games over the last two years. That's to me, one they're team. about they're about as safe. The Seahawks have been the best divi- the best team of the decade. Borderline playoff and, right now, and they made the playoffs last year. And then the 49ers, I think they've got some boom. They've got some they've boom been potential. Terrible ever since Kyle Shanahan's been there. Let, can we at least let them do something before we crown them? That's all I'm saying. Well, we crown them as a team that has a ceiling of 12 wins in your article. Sure. Well, you just that said the not... Browns wouldn't surprise you if they're in the Super Bowl. Right. That's well, what... the Browns roster is way better. I think the 49ers' defense is pretty good, and then Kyle Shanahan on, on paper. I'm I'm definitely tired of the Niners being positioned as a, a – Yes. Well, no one's do doing it this until year. Until the quarterback does something, you know. All right, here we go. Uh, number five, now the back end of the list. AFC South, uh, Texans, Colts, Titans, Jaguars. Hey, they've made progress. You know, this. if I had to pick a riser, and I, I – you know, you know I'm not a big Titans fan, and we'll see about – Nick Foles and the Jaguars, if they could turn it back around. But if I had to pick a, a division that could shoot up these rankings a year from now, Greg, I might just yeah. throw the AFC South. That's, I think my initial rankings had them lower, and I just thought you, you should give this division a little more respect now. Even if they don't – they have the Colts, but and then and then you're not totally sure what's going to happen, but that's part of the fun. I think they'll be very watchable, and it used to be a division that's not too watchable. Wes, another shot across the Joe Flacco slash Chris Wessling bow. AFC West – Ooh, number six. AFC West, definitely a stronger division than NFC West. Ouch. Greg, did you did you put the right research in, or do you think that Wes is just wrong? Well, Wes is just looking at last year's <laughs> rankings, you know, well, where, last year's records. Where I'm the looking at all the data available, Greg. Uh, I you would guys t- should have done a two-hander on this. It would have been a lot of fun. Like, hey, do the free agents. I don't really care that much. Oh, okay. Number seven. The NFC East. More like the NFC least. Well, this is why, like, is there really that big of a difference between the NFC East, the seventh division, and the AFC North or whatever who's second? There's really not. It's the the NFL. This has two really good teams. It's just that not many divisions have two teams in it, and that's why I put the AFC West lower. Two teams in it where I'd be surprised to see them make the playoffs. AFC East. Uh, that too, but I was saying AFC West. Oh, AFC. Broncos, Raiders, I'd be surprised if they make either one of them make the playoffs. Redskins, Giants, I'd be surprised if either one of them makes the playoffs. So if you got two of those teams, 49ers, you're, Cardinals, you're toward, no, see, 49ers are. They're so you think the 49ers are like in a different tier than the Broncos? 
I do. I think they have wow. a, high, a much higher upside. Um, and finally, bringing up the rear of the AFC East. And uh, well, what can you say? I mean, listen, even as a Jets fan that has a lot of optimism about the season, things can go sideways in a hurry in New York. It's happened many times before. Buffalo, people can get excited about the kid quarterback, Josh Allen. The defense uh, made some noise last year. But, what you know, what are we going to do? The Dolphins are the Dolphins. And, you know, I'm sure you put this – you took this into uh, – um, consideration too, Greg, the Patriots are heading towards a decline. This could be one of the worst divisions that we uh, we remember. I, well, it's not going to be much worse than, than it was two years ago or even last year, uh, even if the Patriots took a step back. I mean, they could be good. I think like the AFC East, when they play out of division, wouldn't surprise me if these teams figure out how to have a winning record. They're, they're a little more feisty than they've been in the past, yeah. but it, it's kind of just to my point that there's not a huge difference. The difference yeah, is... Come e- on, that had to have been one of the easiest picks you had was putting AFC East. That's eight. true, because it only had one team that you could see in the Super Bowl, and most... Almost every, basically every other division you could see at least two. All right. But that's why we play those games. No one saw the 99 Rams in the Super Bowl. Oh! You know? No one saw the 01 Patriots in the Super Bowl. Fair enough. Pull up history lessons with Greg Rosenthal. Check it out. NFL.com Rosenthal. Simply the best. <laughs> Energy. NFL division power rankings. Jungle. Jungle. NFC North. Good morning. Stands above the rest. All right. That's it. Good stuff, guys. We'll be back Wednesday. We got, like I said, MJ Acosta will be joining us. We'll have some fun uh, talking about the NFL in late June. Pinch yourself, Greg. Well, are we going to post it Wednesday night? Or is that a Thursday drop? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's the warning. Maybe Thursday. So just ha- if it doesn't land on Wednesday, just know uh, when you wake up on Thursday, it will be there. Don't worry about it. Erica's got you covered. Right, Ricky? That's right. Won't let you down. All right. Let's get out of here. This is Dan Hansen signing off for the mailman, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood, behind the glass. Till Thursday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.